Hey there, and welcome to the podcast for Wednesday, November the 18th. Coming up, Canadian musician Alan Doyle talks to us about the return of his suppertime sing-along on Facebook Live. Plus, we will talk to PR expert Alyssa Freeman, who joined us to talk about the ketchup wars heating up once again, with Heinz announcing they're returning to Canada. And vaccine researcher Dr. Iris Gorfinkel talks about what might happen with a Canadian vaccine rollout. All of that coming up right now on the pod. Alan Doyle, of course, is loved by Canadians from coast to coast to coast, both for his music and his humanity. And tonight he is returning to Facebook Live to raise money in support of mental health. And Alan's on the line and joins us now for more here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Alan, how are you this afternoon? Oh, I'm great. Nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's uh, nice to talk to people from outside the Atlantic bubble, i got to tell you. <laughs> well, I was gonna, I'm good, Alan. It's good to hear your voice. And I was going to ask you exactly about the Atlantic uh, bubble uh, first off. Just uh, how are you? How's the family? How's everybody doing there? I mean, everybody in Atlantic Canada has done such a tremendous job in keeping those COVID numbers down there. Yeah, I mean, we're always vigilant about it here. Uh and, uh, you know, all around the bubble, I feel super grateful to, to, to have, you know, to be in this part of the world, to be honest. But, you know, we, we got a bit more space out here and stuff, so I don't, uh, I don't you know, no judgment on any places that aren't doing as well. I just feel bad for everybody, to be honest. And, you know, like everyone else, I'm just hoping all those vaccines come soon so we can all get back to the life we loved. Uh, but things are, th- things are good out here. We're cautious and, uh, you know, trying to stay vigilant about, uh, you know, isolating if, uh if you're coming from away and if you don't know if you got it and all that kind of stuff and then getting tested all the time and washing our hands and putting on a mask, you know, it's like uh, doing whatever the health health and uh, medical professionals tell us to do. That's what we're doing. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Have you been dealing with the second wave? Because I know for a lot of folks, it's been in a lot of ways tougher than the first. I mean, there was the fear of the unknown that played on us, uh, of course, with this uh, first wave, but there's a real fatigue that is set in with the second wave, I think. I think so too, and it's coupled with the fact that you know the the summer is over, you know, and that the winter is coming on, and it's just it feels like a double whammy, doesn't it? Like, and uh, so I mean, it's it's hard, uh, you know. Knock on wood, you know, um, our numbers are heading, uh, you know, upward, not downward out here, even though there's still nothing minuscule compared to what's going on in other parts of the world. But so we're all worried, you know, and we're all, uh, you know out here trying to avoid the second wave if possible. Um, but perhaps it's impossible, you know, it'll just come a little later out here. Who knows? But the, it is hard on the head and it's, it's hard mentally, isn't it? For, uh, for, for people who are looking at going back, even like, even for me heading back into the basement for the winter, I'm having a hard time with it, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, and, and just, you know, I think I had my heart set on this, you know, by the time the Christmas season rolled around, at least I'd know when the green light was going on, you know, and I don't think we're going to, you know, we're not even going to know when it's going on until much later. So, yeah, well, listen, uh, you're, yeah, you're back with these Facebook uh, live uh, concerts. They were such a great success, such a great comfort for so uh, many when we uh, really needed it. And uh, tell yeah. us about uh, the, the first series uh, in the spring, because again, it was such a much needed outlet for people and such a success. How did it all uh, come about and unfold? Uh, very organically, uh, myself and a couple of friends who started a foundation called a Dollar a Day Foundation, a very simple mental health support foundation that collects a dollar a day from people and groups and companies, and we just redistribute those dollars to mental health uh, 
and addictions programs in every province and every territory of Canada. And we just, um, it's as simple as that. You give us a dollar and we give it to them to help them do the hard work that they're doing. And so what we wanted to do was, was, was support what we knew would be a, an onslaught of mental health issues. Um, just knowing that, you know, what was about to happen, even if even back in March when we thought it only lasts for a month, uh, we imagined that it would be very, very difficult, uh, you know, in, for mental health and addictions across Canada. And that was sort of reinforced very early on by a sort of a call, if you will, uh, from Kids Health Phone, who had experienced 400 times more call volumes than they had normally. And so we very quickly just said, look, let's, let's do something. What can we do? I said, well, I can do Facebook Live. We can ask people to donate to like a COVID-19 fund and we'll redistribute that money immediately. And in a week, we gave $100,000 to Kids Help Fund. And then um, it, we just rolled around uh, the country uh, picking up extra um, causes, even the ones that we didn't normally support, uh, you know, everything from, you know, an addictions facility in Vancouver to, you know, a first responders support rehabilitation program in Windsor, Nova Scotia, to, you know, all over the place and ever since, and just just helping those people do the work that they're already doing. And, and over the course of a month or so, we raised about half a million dollars. Uh, and that we've distributed, or like I say, all over the country, and uh, and so now that the Christmas season is coming, and that you know the uh, the fall is well, you know, well almost over, that we figured it'd be a great time to to restart the the suppertime singalongs, and we recruit some great uh, uh, corporate partners and some some uh, groups of people uh, like firefighters and 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 individuals, of course, who are heart and soul of the Dollar Day program, all getting together. Uh, just to raise a uh, dollar a day for very, very, very worthy causes who are doing the hardest work we can imagine. Yeah, without a doubt. And yeah, congratulations again, because that's an amazing total, $550,000 that uh, first series of uh, concerts, which uh, featured the likes of uh, Ed from Bare Naked Ladies, Ed Robertson, Jan Arden, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who's always a kick, always fun, uh, Russell Crowe, Joel Plaskett. Uh, can you give us a, maybe a bit of a hint of who might be joining you uh, this time around? <laughs> well, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of can't because you know all those people were just people. I of course who were most, they were they're all friends of mine. You know who I just asked and and we're we're just getting rolling and and I'm going to have to ask a lot of them again. I guess aren't I and a few other ones and the the you know the heart and soul of it really is in fact demonstrating to people that we can come together even when we're forced to isolate and even though it's virtual it's still real and it's still um you know you can still feel it and yeah i'll be asking a few of my friends as we roll along these next three or four tonight it's just going to be me uh just because that's the way we kickstarted the first one and we have a few messages uh, from people that we're going to play and then as we roll along you're right i'll, I'll call upon some guests and friends to, to add stuff to the pot you know and uh it just makes for, you know, a lovely break in people's day, I hope. Without a doubt. Can hardly wait for it. It starts all again uh, tonight on Facebook Live, a little supper time sing-along with our good friend uh, Alan Doyle. Alan, thanks as always uh, for the time and for the great work you're doing for uh, mental health. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me, Sia. I'm Alan Doyle, Facebook page there around 6 p.m. Trumpet time. Thanks for everything. You got to Be well. There's uh, Alan Doyle. Yeah.
Okay, are the ketchup wars, are they back? Heinz has announced they are coming back here to Canada, but just how welcomed will Heinz be by Canadians? Let's ask Alyssa Freeman, PR strategist. She joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Alyssa, good afternoon. I love talking about ketchup, Jeff. I'm glad you had me on today. Oh, it's uh, the best, the best condiment, uh, really. Although I recently had a friend say to me, uh, we were having breakfast, and I was putting ketchup on my uh, home fries, my hash browns. He's like, what are you doing? He says, ketchup's for kids. You use HP sauce. No, 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 no. Well, HP I do love, too, but I think that ketchup (laughs) is excellent just about on anything. Some people say no to hot dog, but I I don't know. I think it's all categories. Yeah, listen, I'm with you. Ketchup can do no wrong. But uh, did Heinz do something uh, wrong here? Because I want to start by going back. Heinz's decision to leave Leamington. I mean, there was a real reaction here from Canadians, and maybe an unexpected one uh, when it comes to uh, Heinz. I don't know if they were really expecting that. You know, I don't think that they were either. I think they did it as part of a business decision, and that's a business decision that's bringing them back to Canada, albeit not in Leamington, but now in Montreal. But people were angry, and I remember the uproar. So they left Leamington. They left, you know, 740 people out of a job, not to mention all the farmers that they worked with in the surrounding areas. Now, that's not to say that they still weren't working with that farmers, but that's not the part of the story that most Canadians heard. And as a result... Many, many Canadians actually switched allegiances when it came to ketchup. In my own personal experience, we stopped buying Heinz. I was angry. We went to French's, and now I buy even some fancy organic ketchup. And then when I looked up this article on the Globe and Mail and I went to the comments, first of all, there's over 150 comments on a story about ketchup. (laughs) Bear that in mind. People are still angry. Two years later, and I'm not buying your product. And go away, Heinz. Sorry, I've already switched to Frenchies. People are still, they feel this allegiance uh, to the ketchup brand and to one that left Canada and now is trying to come back in. It almost kind of feels like a relationship where you got broken up with by someone and now they're coming back saying, listen, I'm sorry, I made a horrible mistake. I I was wrong. Will you take me back? Well, it does. So, you know, you know, Heinz is coming back in, or Kraft Heinz, as they're known, now known, as the bad boyfriend, albeit in a market where ketchup use is soaring. Apparently, it's now like a $2 billion industry. And that was even before the pandemic uh, happened and we're all staying home. As, you know, as a result, I think that, you know, Heinz can, yes, have this article. There's a lot of articles now. Um, you know, there, I, thought, I saw it on the front page of the Globe and Mail. Uh, there's articles in the business section. But I think they have to do more than that. I think that Heinz has to take that extra step and put a little bit of PR behind their re-entry into Canada and just not come in for purely a supply chain uh, business decision. So what do they have to do? Uh, What do they have to do to appeal to uh, Canadians, particularly those that are now disenfranchised with uh, Heinz? I mean, do they have to just be real and be authentic and maybe it's an ad campaign, uh, we're sorry, we were wrong, that sort of thing? You know, I don't think they'll ever say they're sorry, but I do think that there is some merit to some sort of social media ad campaign that shows that, you know, we are like we'd like to come back, we are coming back, we hope that you will re-embrace us. And to have some sort of um, overtone, to make an overture to Canadians is, you know, maybe even go to the narrative, you know, we never really left, 
We've still been supporting, um, you know, your farmers and, and manufacturing plants within Ontario, within Canada. But now we want to expand our operations and we hope that you'll uh, embrace us all over again. So I really do need, do believe that they should go to that extra PR level versus just, you know, landing in Canada. And remember, they're not really going to be using Canadian used tomatoes. I know so much about ketchup right now. (laughs) They're not using Canadian tomatoes until a few years from now. So that even makes me think that they should further level up their messaging in order to try and uh, curry favor with the Canadian public. Because, you know, when you read as many... um, comments as uh, as I've been reading, you know, today about this, they have a, a long way to go. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting what you said about the uh, tomatoes, because you're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of us uh, in Canada, and particularly in southwestern Ontario, in Leamington, felt abandoned by the company, no longer using Canadian tomatoes. That had an impact, obviously, uh, on farmers. And when they're coming back, uh, from what I understand, this is more of a a bottling uh, plant, an investment uh, that they're making here, in that the ketchup is still going to be produced south of the border, at least in the short term. Yeah, that's that's the exact same thing that I read. So I think that they can't wait till they start uh, using Canadian tomatoes again. I think that, you know, any sort of campaign is definitely a slow build. They still have the largest share of the market, I think, worldwide in terms of, uh, you know, who buys who buys ketchup and also who buys ketchup in Canada. And even though the numbers do tell a story, you know, you don't get a feeling from numbers. And, you know, when I see this visceral reaction against a condiment, but a very well-used condiment that is a social equalizer condiment, everybody uses ketchup no matter where, you know, what station you are in life. I think that they have to do a little bit more in order to say, you know, we're back in Canada uh, we're sorry we left, but you know here we are. We want to um, we want to work with you. We look forward to doing you know more in the future. But you know something obviously a little bit more clever that ties into their uh, you know their advertising of like you know the only thing, thing that I remember from you know Heinz is you know the anticipation commercials waiting for the ketchup to drop. <laughs> maybe there's something clever around that. Finally, what do you do if you're French?s Do you do anything at all? Do you just sit back and kind of be uh, presidential? <laughs> no. Um, I don't think that you need, I think they could also be clever. And a lot of people have switched over to Frenches. And I think that, you know, we've always been here. Um, you know, we would never abandon you, and we hope that you never abandon us in your grocery cupboard. So I don't think that you need to uh, sit back um, and just wait to see what happens. I always believe in when something like this to be a little bit more proactive and maybe start getting some more promotions out about Frenches and, you know, getting the brand out there and how to, you know, they've embraced uh, their Canadianness. So I absolutely believe that there's an opportunity for them right here. All right. Well, it used to be the Cola Wars, Coke versus Pepsi. Now it's the Ketchup Wars, French's versus Heinz. And if they can take anything from history, I think it's a don't change your formula. Don't do what Coke did. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember the Pepsi challenge, so now you know who I am. <laughs> yeah. Alyssa, thank you so much. Good to talk with you as always. Okay, thanks, Jeff. Be well. There's Alyssa Freeman, PR strategist for us on the Ketchup Wars. We've got lots of promising news on the vaccine front uh, this week. And talk has now turned to what distribution, distribution of the vaccine might look like. Let's welcome in vaccine researcher Dr. Iris Gorfinkel joins us now here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Dr. Gorfinkel, good afternoon. 
Good afternoon, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Nice to speak with you as always. Uh, Before we get to distribution, let's talk about these two vaccines for a second, if we could. There's one from Moderna. There's one from Pfizer. Both of them with excellent results, over 90% uh, positivity uh, rate that uh, they're working. Do you, uh, Dr. Gorfinkel, do you favor one vaccine over the other? You know, I'm like the vaccine-hesitant many, which is, it's exciting, but show me the data. We still don't know the vaccine's durability, so there's a lot of questions. It's super exciting news. So Canada has purchased some 56 million doses of the Moderna vaccine already. Hey, done. And same with Pfizer, 20 million vaccines. But understand, we've got some real logistical challenges that we're facing. I mean, these vaccines are supposed to be kept at minus 80 degrees. Well, minus 70 for the Pfizer vaccine. So that presents real challenges in how we're going to get that out to all the provinces, the pharmacies, the health units, et cetera. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. That's just the Pfizer vaccine that needs that sort of refrigeration. Uh, The Moderna vaccine doesn't need to be kept at uh, quite that low a level. Well, Pfizer has said it has to be kept at minus 70 degrees Celsius. That's a lot colder than we keep the Haagen-Dazs in the freezer right now, like (laughs) way colder. So to give you an idea, I'm a vaccine researcher, and I do not have that capability. Most clinics across Canada do not have that capability. We have the capability of the average Haagen-Dazs bar. That's what it is. Like, it's the ice cream we can freeze, but we can't. Like, minus 70 is really cold. That refrigeration system, by the way, is a $15,000 freezer. So enter Moderna. Moderna's a little more promising, although that vaccine also has to be kept at minus 80 degrees Celsius. Apparently, they're saying their product can last in regular freezer temperatures for up to 30 days. So that gives us a little time to get it out to clinics, but it does have to be given really rapidly. We don't want to waste precious vaccines. All right. I think the tiebreaker here is Dolly Parton. Uh, Dolly invested, for those that haven't heard, in the Moderna vaccine. She put a million dollars towards its development. I don't know about you, Dr. Gorfinko, but for me, Dolly Parton can do no wrong. So I will uh, always side with Dolly. She is a goddess. Yeah. You know, <laughs> did you know she bought 150 million books? for the local community to learn how to read because her father could not read. I'm a huge fan. Yeah, me as well. And uh, by the way, quick uh, plug, uh, Dolly is going to join us uh, on the morning show in a couple of weeks, so we're very excited to have her with us on uh, Global TV. Setting that aside, uh, let's talk about distribution. Now that it uh, looks like there's a light at the end of the vaccine uh, tunnel, do we know exactly uh, how this uh, vaccine, whatever it is, will be distributed in Canada and who will or should get it first? Well, Dr. Teresa Tam, Canada's health health doctor, is telling us that the military may be involved, which I find very interesting. So the federal government has already purchased some 26 freezers that can, in fact, manage the minus 80 degrees. So presumably once they get off the plane, they're going to be put into these freezers. And it's, it's also purchased, Health Canada's purchased another 100 freezers at minus 20 degrees. So the storage systems do at least for them to land is going to be there. But exactly how it's going to be put out, well, there's apparently four companies approved by Health Canada. They're looking at contracts to see who's going to manage the delivery of all of this. And that includes, like, UPS, Federal Express, and McKesson Canada, and Kuhn and Nagel. So it's kind of exciting that one of these very experienced distributors will help in this effort. 
You know, I saw that story earlier this morning about the military's involvement, and really when you sit back and think about it, doesn't that make good sense, good logical sense? I mean, isn't this what the military uh, does and does so well? They, they go in, they can, you know, branch out, fan out, uh, if you will, uh, distribute this vaccine probably in the most uh, efficient uh, way possible. Absolutely. I mean, it's new territory for everybody, but we do need people who are familiar with the lay of the land and who can do the deliveries and do them promptly and well. And so I think the Canadian military is in an excellent state to do that and, you know, probably these other companies as well. So I think that's exciting. What what concerns me a little bit is the tight inventory control. How are we going to do that? You know, I'm a huge proponent of having a vaccine registry, which is critical to the success so that patients, Individuals can go in and see exactly what product they've received and when and where it was provided. That's, that's critically important information for Canadians to know. Hmm, interesting. And we've heard no word, at least I haven't seen anything about that uh, to date or as of yet. Uh, having said that, are they also working on, do you know, Dr. Gorfinkel, uh, who should be receiving the vaccine first off? I mean, would it make sense, uh, our most vulnerable, those in long-term care, who sadly were seeing outbreaks in those facilities again, and frontline healthcare uh, workers, should they be getting it first? Absolutely. Add to that list, hospitals. But you're absolutely right. So what the federal government is now talking about is once the vaccine is received throughout Canada, those categories will be prioritized. Long-term care, hospitals, frontline health care workers, you know, to ensure that the most vulnerable in our population throughout Canada, wherever they may be, have equitable and fair access to the vaccination. You know, so, and then after that, they want to focus on the hot spots. So I'd say, I think it's fair to say Toronto's one of those. What do you think? Uh, yeah, <laughs> without a Toronto, Peel, York uh, should all be receiving the vaccine, I would think, in uh, good and high order. Yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of other regions are going to have stepped up to the plate by that time, you know, because we can see how communities, even remote communities that have so far been unaffected are rapidly becoming affected. So we need that vaccine yesterday. Right. We, we really do. But it will come when it will come. And we also we need systems that can monitor the efficacy of the vaccines because we don't know how long the, the durability is, how long the immunity that these vaccines will provide. And that's no small thing. What if it's just a year? We don't know. Well, you know, I was going to ask you about that and also the fact, uh, do we know when uh, the majority of the population will have the vaccine uh, that will be widely distributed? Will it be this time next year, closer to the end of 2021? And even then, can life return to somewhat normal where we won't be needing uh, face masks and such? Oh, I think we're going to be using face masks as far as the eye can see. Like, really, not, you know, I think that that's going to be an adjunct to what we're doing. And and that's for several reasons. First of all, we don't know, you know, there's too many things, too many unknowns right now to say when all of Canada will be vaccinated. Some of it is not even within Canada's control, frankly. So there's that aspect. That, but, but secondly, because we don't know how long the immunity will last, that's why it's important to continue wearing the masks, continue doing, you know, the hand washing until we do have some idea of just how long these products' immunity will, in fact, last. There's the big question, the big unknown as of right now. Dr. Gorfinkel, really appreciate your time, as always, in the perspective. Thanks so much. Many thanks, Jeff.
Be well. Dr. Iris Gorfinkel is a vaccine researcher. And just a reminder that you can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3 Eastern. Just tune in at 640toronto.com. Also, find us on Spotify. Search my name, Jeff MacArthur, or download us wherever you find your favorite podcasts.